This is FemPower Health. Each week, top women's health experts dispel fact from fiction. The most important pelvic floor exercise is not the Kegel. Challenge the status quo. It's never easy to challenge the accepted leaders, and especially if you're a woman. Provide perspective on why your healthcare journey may be so tough. All of that fear and worry, it all upregulates our nervous system, puts us into fight or flight mode, and increases our pain sensitivity. And what you can do about it. The number one thing is you have to advocate for yourself, and you have to be prepared. Your journey to get empowered starts now. The data is clear. Diet culture is toxic, and it can be a risk factor for body dysmorphia, disordered eating, and other mental health issues. While we all intuitively know this, it's still a problem. Enter Dr. Jen Salib Huber, who recently posted an Instagram reel that went viral. Now think of a little bit of sarcasm here with this statement. When I see wellness influencers telling women that keto and intermittent fasting will balance their hormones in perimenopause, enter a little bit of an eye roll. I contacted Jen right away because I had just had a couple of experts whom I trust who talked about the benefits of these types of diets. I wanted to get Jen's perspective because of her expertise as a naturopath and a registered dietitian, and she was also a previous guest on the FemPower Health podcast. Jen shares fascinating information about the way that we should be viewing diets in our lives so that we can optimize being our healthiest self. So take a listen. Talk to me about that post and what your concern is about these discussions with keto, intermittent fasting, and all these other diets. Oh, where do I start? So <laughs> I know it's a big um, question. <laughs> so first, thank you for having this discussion. Um, you know, I've said before that one of the things that I love about your podcast is that I think you do such a great job at just bringing all the opinions to the table and just inviting respectful discussion around things that maybe people aren't used to hearing both sides of the story. So I think it's just so important for everyone to have that discussion. So thank you. Um, just to give everyone, everyone a little bit of background about where I come from. Um, so I've been a dietitian for 21 years. I've been a naturopathic doctor for almost 17. And for the really the first part of my, my career was very traditional and conventional. It was very much, you know, calories in calories out. Um, You know, we control that equation, we control weight, we control health. And what happened after experience, which I think is what happens often after experience is that you realize that it's not quite that simple. And as I entered midlife, and my practice really started to focus on women in midlife, I realized that something wasn't working. And it wasn't the women who weren't doing dieting well enough, it was that diets didn't work. And the more that I kind of dove into that and really started exploring the science and the research around dieting and the success and failure rates and, you know, kind of what we define even as success, I realized that we had been sold a bill of goods professionally, personally, culturally, that we that we could control our weight by controlling food and controlling exercise. But that's not most women's experience. Most women have the experience that they do all the quote unquote right things. They try hard, they try over and over again. And while things might work in the short term, they're unlikely to work. And I'm saying work in air quotes in the long term, because the data that we have around dieting is really clear that intentional efforts to lose weight 
will fail, meaning that any of the weight that is lost is regained upwards of 80%. And some studies even suggest 95% of the time. So that there is no kind of clear path to easy, sustainable weight loss, which is the unicorn that everyone's looking for. And so what's happened over the last, I think, um, you know, kind of five or six years on social media is that we really have these dietary tribes which have taken hold where people have very strong beliefs, very strong opinions, and whether or not they're truly qualified to give advice about food and nutrition and health, it's out there. And so women in midlife who are struggling with the body changes that we all experience, who maybe have spent a lifetime trying to lose weight, are at the point where they're literally willing to try anything because they still believe with all of their heart and, you know, believe um, unquestionably that they should always keep trying to lose weight, no matter the cost. And that is where I draw the line. And I think that was kind of the message that I sent you was that even if it works, meaning that it produces weight loss, the side effects of those restrictive diets where people have to not have cake at their child's birthday party, where they have to count every meal and every calorie, where they have to say no to foods they enjoy and eat foods that they don't enjoy is never going to be healthy. And that is the part of the conversation that I think is left out out of when people are talking about, does keto work? Does intermittent fasting work? Sure, in the short term, it works like any other diet. In the first three to six months, it will probably result in weight loss. But after that, it's unlikely to work in the long term. And as a result of that, women are often left feeling like there's something wrong with them, that they haven't tried hard enough, that they need to do more. And all of that leads to a very disordered relationship with food, which is where women land in front of me, no longer knowing what to eat, how to eat, or what's wrong with them. You know, when you were first starting out, you were talking about the data. And I think generally people hear things like diets don't work, but then you see all these companies popping up and um, all these products that are popping up and the Instagram and other social media outlet pressures that are coming up. So I guess one question that I do have is when, like, how can someone like internalize that? Because one of the things I've gotten in my own health journey is there's the knowing, and then there's like that deep intuitive, you get it. And it's a journey. And, you know, this almost feels like it should be the last question, but it's, it's in my mind now, which is how should someone then view being healthy and how can someone like get it early on where they're not having to wait and suffer and then come to you? Maybe they come to you early on. Like, what are you finding as the themes where people, it clicks? There are a couple of different situations um, where women land in front of me. So often women come to me feeling like, I've tried everything. Nothing is working. This is the last thing left. Help me. Like that's a common refrain. Sometimes the women will come to me having felt like they're trying intuitive eating. They may have read the book. They may have heard some podcasts. They may know friends who are kind of trying to undiet their lives. 
but they get stuck in what I call the messy middle, which it feels like quicksand. It's like, you're going along, you're not following any rules, things are going great. And then something happens and it's like, you sink right back into diet culture and you feel terrified about what's happening. And I call that kind of the, or that's what's called the diet cycle. So it might be helpful to just explain that uh, what that is. So the diet cycle is the predictable series of events that happens where women feel the desire to lose weight, whether that is driven by health, whether it's driven by how their clothes are fitting, how they feel about their body, whatever it is, the, the thought, the feeling enters their mind that they need to lose. As a result, they start restricting, dieting, following a plan. And initially that feels really exciting. It's, you know, it feels like you're in control, you're doing something, it's proactive. And even if you've done that a hundred times, it feels like this time is going to be different. There's that novelty factor of this is totally new and different. For, that works for a little while, but after a while, it becomes uncomfortable for any number of reasons. It might become uncomfortable because you don't like what you're allowed to eat. You miss the foods that you used to enjoy. You've had to make too many sacrifices. You feel like you're missing out. Um, you're tired of calculating and counting, whatever it is. And as soon as it becomes uncomfortable because of the restriction, the gates begin to open. And when the floodgates open, that's when we kind of jump all in and say, okay, screw it. I'm just going to have whatever I want. I can't do this anymore. And initially that feels good. There's relief. There's like, oh, thank God I'm not doing that anymore. But then after a while, and sometimes it's as little as a few hours, we're right back in that diet cycle because we've now entered blame and shame why couldn't I stick to the plan? What's wrong with me? There must be something wrong with me. The rules are really simple. Why can't I just do this? And so that diet cycle is repeated for some women hundreds of times over their lives. And so where I come in is that I try and get women to see that we can interrupt that first thought and we can stop and say, okay, why do I feel like I need to lose weight? Why have I made weight loss the pinnacle of my health journey and a proxy for health, whether it's childhood beliefs, whether it's your experience growing up as, you know, as an adult, whether it's your friends, whether it's just diet culture in general, when we can understand, um, you know, what needs need to be met in other ways so that you can feel safe and secure in your body, when we can understand what it means to be attuned to all of your needs, not just the need for nourishment, but the need for pleasure and connection and rest and movement and joy and all of those things, then we can eat intuitively, which strictly speaking, some people interpret as eating when you're hungry and stopping when you're full. But that's really just kind of the tip of the iceberg because it's really about eating with permission, just being able to eat any food that you find enjoyable and satisfying and pleasurable. And some people worry that with that kind of unrestricted kind of, you know, box that they're just going to eat whatever they want. And while that is true, it doesn't mean eating whatever you want to the point of not feeling well or not honoring your health. So there's just so much more to the intuitive eating piece. But um, I think a lot of women don't recognize that diet cycle until I describe it. And as soon as I describe it, they say, oh yeah, that's me every day, every week, that's where I'm at. So if we can see where we're at, then we can start to see, okay, where can I start to step out of that? The way you explained the, the, the cycle, one thought I had is we're in a quick fix culture and I can totally see how someone might see 
something on Instagram where that's the quick snapshot. They don't see all the work that goes behind how somebody looks. They're like, no, 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 I'm just going to try that. Like, I don't need a psychological analysis. That takes too much time. I need to change what I eat right now. And so I'm, I'm curious, because it sounds like when you explain it to people, they're like, that's me. So is it a, you know, some people are just going to have to be on that journey to get something else has to change. And it's not constantly trying those diets that they hear their friends yeah. talking about, you know, is there like some other words of wisdom for those that look at this and are like, I don't need a psychological analysis. I just need to lose five pounds for my vacation next week. Like what, yeah. what would you say to them? Again, I think it's kind of that diet culture bill of goods that we've been sold that we can diet and exercise our way into someone else's body. And we can't, okay. right? If we all ate the same thing, we would all look differently. That's true. Um, and my favorite kind of example from that. So we also know that 70% of our body size and shape is genetic. And what I mean when I say that is that there are several large enough studies to generalize the findings of twins who are separated at birth who were reunited later in adulthood, 20s, 30s, 40s, for us to say that, oh, you know what? It 70% is nature and 30% is nurture. And that comes as a big surprise to people because you know we've been told that you can shape and mold your body into whatever you want it to be, but there's a limit to that. And that's probably only like a maximum of 30% and probably not even 30% because there's other environmental influences that aren't under our control, right? I mean, people are looking at chemicals in the environment and how they influence our body size and shape. But, you know, I'd like, I always like to share um, a story from my own life about this, where uh, in 2018, I found out that I was donor conceived. So I was conceived with a sperm donor in the late seventies. And as a result, I now have this relatively large family. One of the half siblings that I have, so we all actually look quite a bit alike, but one of my half siblings actually lives here in the Netherlands, um, now about three kilometers from me. Um, and she and I are, I think as close, we look more alike than many full siblings I know. Um, and so I actually have a picture of that in the intuitive eating highlight in my Instagram. But we are within half a centimeter of each other. Neither of us know our weights, so we don't know what each other weighs, but we can shop for each other. Like I can, I'd buy something on clearance if I liked it and knew that it fit her. Um, you know, and we are so similar in size and shape that it was just such an incredible real life reminder to me of how important genetics are in determining how we look. And so I think that for many women who have struggled with that, who, you know, just to be able to say that, you know what, I'm actually not in control of as much as I've been led to believe. So even if I never eat before lunch and never after seven and only ever eat cauliflower for the rest of my life, I'm still not going to look like the person on Instagram who does. And, you know, I think that when we start to realize that we really can have health at every size and that weight isn't a proxy for health because there are many people in smaller bodies who are not healthy and many people in larger bodies who are, it really gives us the freedom to explore what health actually is. And if weight has been the only way that you or your medical provider or anyone else has been defining health or the primary way, um, then it can be really liberating to realize that, you know, walking every day is a fantastic health promoting behavior, even if it never changes the scale. My 
health journey of when I really started to care and, and monitor things and understand was when I started having um, the fertility issues. And about three years in, this doctor said that I had to cut out gluten and dairy. And I remember I resisted, like I called him up and I'm like, can I have wheat germ? It's healthy. <laughs> no, it's gluten. I'm like, come on a little bit. He's like, ixnay, no way. Cause I have endometriosis. For me, what I learned is I'm black and white. It was way easier to just say no gluten. So when I was at my client that always had cookies, I would walk by the cookies, never thought twice. That worked for me, the limitation. But then what started happening is I got in with the crowd of like all these different things. I learned about the AIP diet, which actually was amazing, but I did find the limitations. And so there's elements where feeling out of control with fertility treatments, but having a diet I could control, I'm sure that I was starting to get on the edge of like being overly limiting. So between four years of injections and all the other things that go with fertility, the diet, the am I pregnant, all that drama, I'm now to the point, and also because I'm in perimenopause and we are so powerful when we hit 40 and 50 because we just don't totally. care anymore. So that, I think that's another thing. Slowly over time, I have now just gotten to the point of like, I now know what works for me and then I make choices. So like, I don't eat gluten, but I know if I cheat, I get little white dots on my forehead. Luckily right now with the lighting, you can't tell they're there. <laughs> um, I know that if I have dairy, I instantly feel sick. I can't have Asian Paris because I look six months pregnant. Like I just know, and if I have, you know, too much wine, I have severe anxiety. Like I just, Mm -hmm. so I know my triggers. And so it's more, I now feel like I just make choices every day and it really is so much easier. And yeah, I limit and yeah, people may get annoyed with me, but I'm like, but I feel good. And so I just don't care. But here's the other thing that I wanted to ask you about. One thing that is fascinating to me, because I'm not a typical consumer is you know, it's easy to say to someone and have conversations that you can relate where it's like, oh, I'm on Whole30, I'm on AIP, mm. I'm on keto, because then everyone knows the framework. Everything is is frameworks. And it's so much easier to make sense of life when something feels out of yeah. control, when you have like buckets and labels to be able to put on things. What would you say to people who are like on that ride of like, hey, I'm on keto, let's all be in the keto group and the Whole30 mm. And I mean, it's understandable because you feel totally. part of something, but there's a flip side. I did a post about this actually uh, last week or the week before. And, you know, I said, diet, finding a dietary tribe feels like initially like you've found your village, but it actually, for most women ends up feeling like a cult because you're only welcome as long as you're following the rules and you can't question them. And, you know, so many women have said that, you know, oh, I was in this group and we were all doing keto. But then when I asked about this, it was like, oh, you can't do that. And I was, you know, blamed and shamed and made to feel guilty or that, I, you know, and then so I think that anything that requires you to be 100% all or nothing doesn't allow you to question, how can I make this work for me? like you've done, right? Like you were able to take like this blanket advice you were given and really kind of say like, you know what, this actually might be something that works for me and that I can make that choice and feel like it is a choice and that not something that I have to do. You know, I think that for most women who are in these kind of dietary tribes, it's the novelty of feeling like they found a village of like-minded women. But for most of the women, at least that I work with, and I can definitely see that I, you know, I work with a biased sample of people who it hasn't worked for. 
um, that for most women, they end up feeling like they're less than. It's like, well, why can't I do it? It's working for this person. Why, you know, can't I get up every morning and, and make the things that they're making? So it invites comparison. And we already have so much of that in our life, right? We already have so much comparison that makes us feel less than. Um, that, you know, a village should really be someone who meets you where you're at and supports you in the way that you need to be supported and not just following the rules. So yeah, that's kind of my thoughts on dietary tribes. Fempower Health is pleased to partner with the upcoming Femtech and Consumer Innovation Summit. The summit is the latest deep dive event, part of the Women's Health Innovation Series, looking to tackle this growing sector of women's health, having had continental success in driving innovation, investment, research, and partnerships in traditional women's health care by bringing together critical stakeholders. Join us in New York on June 7th and 8th as we channel this success into the consumer sector of women's health. Visit www.femtechconsumerinnovation.com to view the superstar speaker lineup and enter code FEMPOWER15 for 15% off your ticket. Hope to see you there. So then what is the solution here? Because I know you're not at all going to say, well, I think all women should eat this, not that, and those types of things. Uh, so I'm very curious because I always like to offer solutions. Mm. Then what? So what do we do now? There's these diets. We have these attitudes. I could see, I'm going to guess one of yours is probably get off social media or unfollow certain people or whatever. But um, yeah. I'm so curious what what your you know general advice is for women who are trying to get on the right path and still feel yeah. good about how they look and feel. Cause it really is also how we feel. Let's not understand totally that. How we feel. And how we <laughs> feel is really all that matters, right? Yep. Like what other people think shouldn't matter. I know it does. I'm not going to be not going to claim to be immune to that, but so Glennon Doyle's uh, recent podcast um, was her podcast. We can do hard things was on bodies and how we feel about our bodies. And she really had this amazing concept that, you know, kind of even me as someone who's worked in this for years and years and years, it kind of just really was like an aha moment that we can either control our bodies or we can love our bodies. We cannot do both because the things that we need to do to control our body are not loving. It's restricting. It is deprivation. It is following rules that may not feel intuitive, that may not be serving us. It is denying ourselves. It is not love. And, but in order to love our bodies, to show respect and kindness and trust, we have to let go of some of the control. And I think that's where the framework of intuitive eating really is a safe place for women to land because it says, you know what? I acknowledge that you have lived in diet culture and are so indoctrinated into this diet mentality that it is what you live and breathe and you do not know how to function and have a relationship with food that doesn't involve following a plan, a set of rules, counting, tracking, and using the scale as a measure of success. That is diet culture, but there is another way. And to do that, we need to undiet your life. 
we need to examine those beliefs. We need to really understand them. Are they serving you? Are they not serving you? How can we change them? And we need to develop body trust, which is really trusting your body to tell you when it's hungry, when it's full, when it needs to feel satisfied, when it wants to move, how it wants to move. Um, what does it need? Like I said earlier in the podcast, we need to meet those needs of connection and joy and movement. All of those things help you to love your body, regardless of what the scale says. And it's not that you will no longer ever desire weight loss. I'm always really clear with women that I think that it is so much a part of our culture that I don't think anyone, including me, can ever get to the point where that's completely removed from your consciousness, but it can become less important. Whether or not you fit into pants you wore two years ago, no longer take up the space in your body image and self-image that they maybe once used to. That we can understand that who we are is much less about our bodies than maybe we've lived, right? So um, it's a complicated answer, but it's an extremely rewarding process to be a part of for women and also for the women who go through it. Um, you know, it's a, it's a no regrets kind of thing. Like they always say, you know, I can't even believe um, how great I feel about my body, even though my body may not be the one that I've been working for, for all these years. Got it. So let me ask you this for those who might be wondering, can intuitive eating lead to weight loss? Is it more so about how you feel? Is it, can you achieve both? So that's such a great question. And thank you for asking it. Um, so intuitive eating is not anti-weight loss, but it is against the pursuit of intentional weight loss for the purposes of health. So if as a result of undieting your life, learning to eat intuitively, finding food freedom, all those kinds of things leads to a change in your body that you are happy with, great. But we can't use that as a measure of success or failure. And we can't use that as like the barometer of success because to do that really keeps us grounded in that diet culture mentality, right? That the number on the scale is the most important thing. So it's not anti-weight loss. And, but, you know, I always tell women, we have no idea what of being able to predict what's gonna to happen to your body when you start eating in an attuned and intuitive way. For some women that's weight loss, for some women that's weight gain, and for some women it's staying the same. But the goal is to get you out of the diet cycle and the blame and shame cycle and to get you feeling like your relationship with food is comfortable and nourishing and safe and no longer taking up all of your thoughts. Um, and no longer driving you crazy so that you're like looking for something new every Monday because whatever you were doing before wasn't working because you haven't failed at dieting. It's dieting that has failed you. That's the most important take home. You have not done anything wrong. If any other treatment only worked 5% of the time, would we prescribe it? Would we use it? Never. We would never prescribe a drug and, you know, telling someone that it would only work 5% of the time. But no, we do true. that for diets all the time. We prescribe weight loss, even though there is no known successful long-term solution. It makes so much sense. And I am always about four pounds heavier than I used to be 
you know, I'm proud that I've gotten to the point of just being like curious about it and, yeah. you know, just understanding my triggers because I do want to fit into my clothes um, and not have to keep buying new ones, but it's, it's like a curiosity and like a purposeful, intentional way of being where I just oscillate based on kind of whatever's going on, but it doesn't take up much of my brain. It really, I, I will say it is so much nicer. It really, really And I is. think part of that conversation needs to be normalizing the fact that bodies change. Yeah. Right? Um, you know, going back to like, how do we, how do we interrupt the cycle earlier on? We start by telling girls in puberty that they're going to get softer and rounder and curvier. That's normal. Their body percentage has to double in order for them to achieve and maintain menstruation. We need to normalize that. We need to shout that from the rooftops. Um, we need to tell women of all ages that there is never the expectation that they stay the same number or the same dress size for their entire life. That does not predict or measure health, you know, yeah. but so many women have this like narrow range of, oh, I feel best when I'm here. And, but it doesn't actually translate into health for most women. And in fact, the things that some women do to stay in that really narrow range might actually detract from their health. That's not a way to live. I want to like enjoy life. And quite honestly, when I see women of all different sizes who you can just tell when they feel good in their body and that totally. in itself is attractive, like yes. just very like sexy. And, you know, I think we just need to acknowledge and I love all these posts where different accounts are starting to show um, women of all different shapes and sizes and just showing that that's attractive. And even now nice. with clothing ads, they're having women of all different shapes and sizes. And it's, it's like, finally, you know, and I it's hope just those real types women, of things. right? Yeah, exactly. Only 5% of women meet that thin ideal, but they take up like 90 plus percent of the media, right? So we need to start showing people, not just women, but we just start into showing like the diversity of the human body doing the things that the human body can do that is not dependent on meeting the standards of the thin ideal. Yeah. No, you know, you can wear the bathing suit, you can go hiking, you can do all of these things um, that have nothing to do with your size and shape. And that's, I think, the message that thankfully, I think it's coming, you know, like it's, it's definitely getting out there. And, you know, that women in midlife, especially, um, I think are receptive to hearing because so many of the women that I work with really have been dieting for 20 or 30 years of their life. And, you know, Ouch. they get to this point in midlife where they're just like, I can't do this anymore. Like right. I can't, like they literally cannot do it anymore uh, and they need another way. And they're just at that place where like they let the light in and you know, the crack opens and they see what life is like when they don't have to count every calorie and plan every meal. And they just realize how much of life they've been missing. Yeah. And you know, that's, that's the payoff for me, but it's also the payoff for them. And it's what keeps them grounded in, I need to keep this process moving forward. Even if there are the messy middle, even if I get to the uncomfortable bits, um, even if my body is changing in ways that I don't understand, I love and respect the body that I have. And body acceptance isn't about loving your body every moment. It's about loving and respecting the body you have. Um, and, you know, I think that's another concept that sometimes gets lost in the nuance of social media where acceptance 
seems to imply that you love it unconditionally, which is true, but love doesn't mean like every moment, right? That's awesome. What a great message. So tell us about how you're supporting women through intuitive eating. I think you have a few, few great things that you're offering. So tell us about that. Beyond the Scale, which is a seven week program, which helps women undiet their lives over 40. And it really is for women over 40, um, but it can be for women over 35 who are also in midlife, but it really just kind of addresses some of the unique challenges that I think women experience as they're going through perimenopause and menopause and the body changes and the life changes. But it's really a step-by-step program Um, really lots of contact with me, weekly group calls, uh, weekly modules, um, a daily chat, and just an amazing small group of women that really are just there to walk with you as you kind of go through this process. And so that's kind of my, my, where my heart is these days is working on that project and we'll be uh, enrolling a new, um, a new group of women in September. So for people who are interested in that, and it, it runs four times a year. So there's lots of options. Um, and then for some people who may not be into the one-on-one or not into the group support, I do have some one-on-one options as well. Um, for, you know, undieting your life, especially if you need a little bit more um, support through that process um, than what a group can offer, but there's lots of amazing group support as well. So, um, but as always, Instagram is the best place to follow me and find me at menopause.nutritionist and uh, the links in my bio will keep everyone updated. Awesome. And I like that you have the group option because to the point that we discussed earlier around some of the groups that have the pressure, this sounds like a supportive, no pressure group. Oh yeah, this is, so we just finished the first session, the spring session and uh, the group of women were amazing and uh, like loved each other so much that they are all still staying in touch. And it was absolutely like the highlight was the group part and the group calls. So for anyone who's ever been hesitant about groups, thinking that it's not gonna be personal, um, the social learning model is invaluable and so i i actually would tell people like think of the group program before actually thinking of working with me one-on-one because what you can learn from other women who are in the same um, journey is invaluable and uh and is amazing so that's awesome well thank you for sharing so the last question that i always like to ask is what is your greatest hope for women's health My greatest hope for women's health really comes back down to food. And, you know, for, for many women, I think that the food is medicine message has been their guide and, you know, feeling like they absolutely must try their hardest at all times to manage health with food. But the reality is that food can't cure everything. And so I would really like to see food become part of the discussion around women's health that doesn't involve introducing shame when women can't use food as you know their only medicine. So um, I'd like to see the conversations around food change as it comes to women's health. Thank you for tuning in to this discussion on the FemPower Health podcast. You can refer to the show notes for links to information that is referred to in this episode. And if you like this episode and found it timely and valuable, please take a moment to tell a friend or a colleague about FemPower Health. And right after this episode is over, please think of one person who might find this episode helpful and tell them about it. And if your friend is new to podcasting, please show them 
them how to subscribe to our show. And another way to support FemPower Health Podcast is to leave a review where you listen to podcasts. And as a reminder, the information shared by FemPower Health is not medical advice, but for information purposes to enable you to have more effective conversations with your doctor. Always talk to your doctor before making health-related decisions. Additionally, the views expressed by the FemPower Health podcast guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. See you next week. And that wraps up another empowering session here at the FemPower Health Podcast. Now, before you dash off, I've got a quick, exciting invitation for you. Please join our vibrant community by subscribing to our weekly newsletter, because it's really your frontline update on groundbreaking women's health research, the latest health-enhancing products, fun quizzes to boost your health IQ, and unique discoveries that you won't want to miss. All of this delivered straight to your inbox, cutting through the noise of social media algorithms. Love today's insights? Show your support by rating and reviewing our podcast. Your feedback is more than just a pat on our backs here at FemPower Health. It lights the way for others seeking guidance and community in their health journey, amplifying the voices that need to be heard. And for a deeper dive into today's topics, check out the show notes and explore our website at fempower-health.com. Our site is a treasure trove of knowledge, neatly categorized by topics of interest and life stages, ensuring you find exactly what you need to empower your health journey. And your voice matters to us deeply. Whether you have a question, a story to share, or feedback on our episodes, reach out directly at info at fempower-health.com, drop us a message on social media, or hit reply on any newsletter. Your insights inspire our conversations. And a quick note, the knowledge we share is here to embolden you in discussions with your healthcare provider. It's not medical advice. Always consult with your doctor for health decisions. And remember, the diverse perspectives of our guests reflect their individual journeys, and it's not an endorsement by FemPower Health. Here's to empowering your health journey one episode at a time, and I'll see you on the next FemPower Health podcast episode.